Hey everybody, it's Chris Aiken from Aftershocks reminding you that if you want to see the interviews, see the artists, and see Matt and I ramble on with the artists, subscribe to us on YouTube. Just go to the link bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash AftershocksPod1, the number one. So bit.ly slash AftershocksPod1. And you can subscribe and see all of our videos in this video cast. All right, and here we are. We're ready to rock. Tremors Live number nine. Uh, yeah, we're here for another one here. And uh, what's going on, Chris? Uh, how you doing today, man? You ready for this one tonight? We got a good I one. I am, man. This is going to be good, man. Uh, to yeah. where would you, you know the the unique thing about Tremors is that we have covered so much different ground. Yeah, and here we come once again covering more different ground. With I, I don't think we've had straight power metal like like Death Dealer, have we? I don't think we have, right? No, I think we've had, you know, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I don't think we have. No, it's a lot of classic metal stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we had uh, modern metal. We, you know, we had metal. Seven Dust last time. And, mm-hmm. and yep. you know, and, and not to look that far ahead, you know, 30 seconds into this show, but, you know, next week we're, we're doing, you know, kind of the, the hardcore punk vibe. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know. We continue to set the set our own course, I guess. Yeah, we're all over the place, man. Yeah. That's just great. We don't give a shit. We're just uh if we like it, you know, and we want to, you know, pump it up and we'll bring mm-hmm. it on. You know, it's just plain simple, you know, plain simple as that, you know. Well, and uh yeah. It goes it goes to what we said when you and I had our private conversation way back in like March or April, whenever it was, about maybe starting a podcast, which was mm-hmm. we wanted to explore stuff that we like. That just isn't explored, you mm-hmm. know, on the traditional podcasts. We yeah. didn't want to cover Kiss anymore. We didn't want to cover, you know, metalcore. No. no. We didn't want to cover new metal. We wanted to cover a little bit of everything. And man, we are we are proving that out here with Aftershocks. That's for no, damn. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's so many of out there that, you know, that you said talk about Kiss and a lot of the classic bands, you know, obviously, obviously we all grow with and we all like and love and uh, but yeah, I mean, we wanted to obviously get a little more in, in depth and, and more. We're more about bre- you know breaking some new artists too. That's what yeah. we're trying to do more than anything. I think is I mean, obviously, yeah, we, we're gonna have guests on that are veterans in you know in the business and in, in you know metal and, and hard rock. Um, but we want to really start breaking some newer bands or some bands that have been around, around a while that uh, you know people just don't know too much about. Right. Um, and so I think uh, that's what obviously makes it fun for us too. You know. Um, it's just to diversify it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, we're, we're obviously two guys who have a very, uh, ver- you know, wide variety, of, you know, of uh, of taste when it comes to, you know, hard rock and metal music or just music in general, even if it's not hard rock or metal, just rock or just music. So, um, yeah. So it's just something that, you know, obviously that's what we love about doing that. And I think tonight's a great example of that, especially we'll, you know, we're starting off tonight with uh, uh, guitar extraordinaire, Byron uh, Nemeth. Um, who's been around for some time? Uh, I think you. I believe Chris. You said you kind of you know him uh, from his days when he was back in Cleveland, correct? I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I've known Byron for a really long time, and um, 
you know, he's he's had the ups and downs. He's been a local. I've known him as a local musician. I've known him as a national musician. And, you know, I've, I've really kind of gotten to follow along with his career. And he's an amazing player. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I have quite a few questions for him, actually, about, you know, how he transitions back and forth between instrumental guitar yep. and band guitarist. Because, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like what we what we talked about with Sammy Bowler two weeks mm -hmm. ago. You know, it, it's not the same. I, no. I don't think people, I don't think the casual fan appreciates how different it is to record and release a, a band versus mm -hmm. recording and releasing as a, a virtuoso, so to speak. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a reason that the greatest guitar players ever you know, the Ingves of the world or whatnot always end up having to stick some vocalist in front of them mm -hmm. because it's really hard to convince people of your true talent. It's kind of, it's, it's hard to make that guitar be your voice. Yeah. yeah there you go. Exactly. I and, think that's a good statement. Yeah. And, and I mean, the greatest guitar players, any of us can name have all been in bands. They've yeah. all had, they've all had a voice to kind of, lead people to their playing mm -hmm. you know, the eddie van halen's the dimebag daryl's the zach wilds the you know jimmy sure. hendrix even you know mm -hmm. you yeah. know uh jimmy page pick them you know it doesn't matter who it is mm -hmm. you know and there's a reason that there's you know what two three four monsters that are just just straight players yeah there's there's mm -hmm. a reason that you you name satriani you name vi then you start stretching, you know, and that's in history. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and that's the thing. And think about Vice Satcher. And I think we talked about this one time, mm -hmm. or maybe even last time is, and those guys are, are out, you know, straight from the eighties. So it's not like yeah. there's been anyone recently in the last 20, 30 years, even more mm -hmm. who have kind of broke out as this virtuoso who, you know, you, you see, I mean, the, the, I think the hardest thing about, you know, like you, you just, you know, put it, uh, made a great point in terms of, you know, it's hard to make your guitar, uh, you know, as, as a virtuoso, um, the the voice of your music, you know, because mm -hmm. people are so used to and like having vocals, you know, in order to, I guess, to pique interest from, you know, listeners, if you are just this virtuoso who can play, it, it, a lot of times it's just not for everyone. People get bored. Yeah. They might be like, well, all right, I, I get it. You can play, you know, it's great. But what, you know, but, mm -hmm. What else can you so it's sort of you know the audience for i think you know virtuoso guitarists and you know having instrumental bands it's a very you know it's a unique sort of audience i mean who, yeah. who i don't know of anybody personally including myself that goes oh yeah i, I want to go watch this guy play live this guitar virtuoso guy i mean i, I never do personally yeah you know, i don't i don't really listen to too much of that stuff i mean of course i, I respect the musicians and you know, their talents and everything, obviously, you know, I, I mean, I was just listening to, you know, obviously Byron's, you know, uh, music the other day. I'm like, wow, one thing that amazes me is how these guys can play all the, you know, just sit there and how they really write a whole song where their guitar is the voice. I mean, yeah. that's extremely, extremely difficult to do, right? you know, so it's, it's, it's so talented, but for some reason, obviously people really get attached to music. A lot of it is because of the vocals and the lyrics. So when you're, not only just exclude, you know, that's like a two in one thing. You're excluding not only the voice, but the lyrical content in it. I mean, that's just hard in general to kind of gin up a fan base. Just, it is. you know, yeah. Well, and, and dude, I mean, the, <coughs> the reality is people are stupid. Let's just call it the way <laughs> people are stupid and they yeah. need stupid music. 
Think of think mm. of the biggest hits of all time. All of it is is rhymy, you know, you know, tears on my pillow or you know, yeah. loves sure. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy stuff, yeah. <laughs> but it's dumb stuff. I mean, if yeah. you take the Beatles lyrics, you know, before they became drug addicts, it was mm. all dumb and it was oh, yeah. all, you know. I want to hold your hand, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, but and it was all just kind of rhymy and and it was yeah. easy to do it without a voice, without a the sound that people can make in their car or whatever. You know, that's very difficult. Extremely, yeah. You know, and, and and I mean, how how even just talking about it, how do you tell somebody which Eric Johnson song they want to listen to? No, you're right. Yeah, you know, you know, you, you got friends. You're at the bar. Dude, you got to listen to this new um this new Satriani song. Really? Why? How does it sound different than any other Satriani song? And you don't have a reference point unless you're a real guitar guy. Yeah. You know, you, you can't really you can't say to him, "Oh man, you're not going to believe the picking he does on this arpeggio." You know, no nobody's going to get that. Most people no. are going to be like, "Huh? Give me some Motley Crue or ACDC, you know, yeah. stuff I can wrap my head around easily." <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Like you just said, the I mean, fans, most of the, probably the fans of that kind of music are, you know, guitar enthusiasts themselves mm -hmm. that play. And so to them, yeah, they love. I mean, like I remember as a kid, you know, uh, one of my cousins, he started picking up guitar. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's what he started doing. He started listening to like John Petrucci. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys, um, their instrumental stuff. That was his sure. sort of thing. But then he was also, but he, you know, he wasn't necessarily a rock and metal fan. You right. Know, he was more of a guitar fan. I mean, he played pop. He listened to pop. So it was like, but he did like that stuff. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he listens to any of that stuff anymore. So it was, it was more of a, oh, I'm really learning guitar. I like, I like the guitar as an instrumentation, not so much for the songs, but for the, you know, the the mm -hmm. technicality part of it. Yeah. And um, and I think that's the difference. Is and so that's really major the main audience for those bands and, and those you know uh, artists is just that you know and, I, and i'm really wondering it's the thing too is i mean can or how often and probably one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of the uh, those artists is they can't really survive it's hard to survive yeah. to, to get up uh, you know to sell enough records or or you know um downloads or enough you know merchandise to uh -huh. to be able to you know to, or, or join a fans to a show i mean it's just yeah. very difficult yeah well that's it there's a reason that g3 has 10 players on it every year or how yeah. many players you know, I mean, you bring the G3 brings the biggest names in that world. It's always Satriani, Vibe, you know, Zach Wild, um, mm. you know, Eric Johnson has played a bunch of them. You know, yeah. it's always the biggest names in it, and you always got to have a bunch of them. Yeah, and and sure. that's why, you know, mm. where meanwhile you can bring a dopey Def Leppard type of a band out there with, you know, oh, simple gosh. lyrics, but mm. catchy and syrupy, and, and you sell 15,000 tickets. Yeah, no, that's a good point, yeah. You yeah. know, and I, I think Phil Collin did the last G3. G3, really? play, yeah, Phil Collin, I believe, did the last G3. He's doing G3 for, I don't know, 3,000 people in each city. And he's going wow. out with Leopard selling 18,000 seats. Well, yeah. And there you go. I mean, if I think, uh, yeah. And like you said, that's what I think you have to do in order, you know, for, for you know, guitar extraordinaires like that. Mm -hmm. Is you sort of have to, especially these days. Maybe, like I said, you know, back in the eighties, nineties, maybe a different story, but not anymore. Sure. I think, like you said, you've got to sort of create your own band and have multiple, uh, you know, guitars come together and sort of, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, just something like that, like the G three. But anyway, 
Well, let's get it. Well, we'll go ahead and get started with our first guest tonight. Here he is himself, the guitar extraordinaire virtuoso, Mr. Byron Nemeth. Byron, man, how you doing? Nice to see hey, you. Hey, how are you guys doing? What's going on? Hey, man. Ah, not too bad. Not too bad. How's uh, everything where you are right now in terms of, uh, you know, I guess, you know, music. I mean, I know, you know, but well, first let's go over what you've been up to. Okay. You've been obviously real busy, Byron. You've got a new single out called uh, Engines of Thunder. Uh, that recently was released, uh, I believe, like a month or so ago. You also are currently, I know, I saw you in the process of doing a uh, video for the track that you've also put together, and a uh, great new website as well. Uh, so let's just go ahead and tell us a bit about what you've been up to musically as of late. What can we expect, you know, uh, to hear and see from you in the near future during this crazy, you know, pandemic uh, that's been going on the last eight months? Yeah, that that's exactly right. I, I just uh, put out the single, the audio single for um, Engines of Thunder last month. And just last night, I got done filming uh, the video for it. The The video went really great. It was done here at Wavestream cool. Studios in Phoenix, and it was sponsored by uh, Sonic Boom Productions. And uh, the, the video came out spectacular. And right now, we're in the middle of editing the video, and that should be released in about two weeks. And the hope is to put that out and just uh, you know get it circulating and get the music out through the video. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, it sounds great, man. You know, and the, the new single, it, it, Engines of Thunder, like I said, it's, it's I, I think it's a great song. And, and it's also, to me, it looks like you're doing what a lot of, you know, a lot of musicians are starting to do, which is releasing singles rather than full length studio. You know, obviously, I'm sure a lot, like, you know, the short attention span that most of your average music listeners have these days. So I think it's easier to just release singles instead of releasing these full lengths, right? Because it's like people listen to them, maybe they listen to it once. And it's like, okay, what's next, right? So that's what a lot of artists are doing, obviously. Some are doing EPs as well. Um, and, you know, although it, it makes sense, you know, to not go full bore, you know, with a full-length release for, you know, obviously the reasons I was just talking about, do you think by going the singles route that, you know, uh, a lot of people are doing, a lot of music musicians are doing, do you think that could also possibly inhibit you from, you know, gaining a larger audience and a fan base because it might not, be enough for some listeners today where you know they want to even though they don't listen to the whole album it's like they want to see it or else they think well he or she's not serious enough they're just putting out a single here and there uh, i mean i know it's just it's it's a way to obviously you got to be creative these days so i mean why are you releasing singles instead of eps or full lengths uh in in my opinion i think uh the the music business model has uh changed and this is just my observation i think it's changed to a single versus album model and i'd like to take that one step further and say that i think the the right way to do it for the moment you know things could always change with technology but and and the world but for the moment i think what uh what's important here is not just to release a single but to release a video with every single single mm, and i right. think that's really really important and in, ter in terms of it not being enough for the audience base what's important here is to get on the schedule and to try and release a, a single with a video approximately, you know, every every six to eight weeks or so, and just do that as an ongoing cycle, and never stopping. And and what what that'll do is is that'll help the presence of the artist stay within uh, within the mindset of of the audience on a continuous basis. Bands that you know uh, you know record you know twelve songs wait a whole year to record another twelve songs they're gonna get lost in the shuffle of the internet. And what's important here is to have a consistent delivery of single with video on a very consistent timeline. And I think that's, for the moment, that's the proper business model, in my opinion. Sure. 
Now, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, Byron, just because I and to be honest, I agree with you that it it is the way that we're going. However, I think it puts you you guys and especially you know not the Metallicas of the world, but the smaller bands that don't have infinite budget. It puts you guys in like a perpetual work mode because you always, I mean, you can't take a single day off where you're not working somebody to get onto their playlist or getting into their, you know, onto their YouTube page or getting brave words or whatever to, to do a premiere. It just seems like it's taken the art, the time that you would invest in the art and turned it into business. And, and for artists, especially a guy like you, who I know is artsy, you know, it, it, it feels like it's almost forcing you to be more product based than art artistic. Is that, is that fair? You have to be both at the same time, Chris, you really do. And you have to approach it with that mindset because you have to deliver the art for yourself and for the audience base. But at the same time, you have to be able to, uh, to, to a degree, you know, realize that it's a business and it, it takes up time. It, there, there's just no way around it. And you have to be involved in both capacities full on all the time. If you really want to do it, no one is forcing anybody to do it. But, you know, if you, if it's in your heart to do it and if you're an artist and, and like yourself, you know, uh, you know, we're both entrepreneurs, we're both in technology and, mm -hmm. and uh, we both love music. If you want to do it, then you just do it. And that's, yeah. And that's where we're at in the world, you know. It's a personal right. choice, and we just do it because we love it, and we do it because we're business guys. So it's right. both at the same time, all the time. Right now, now for for you, you know, I, I find it interesting, and and to be honest, I actually, you know, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I find this to be actually a better model than I think a lot of people think of. That you didn't release the video the same day that you released the song, because right. really, in a lot of ways, if you think about it, it's two different audiences. There's right. the, the Spotify music listening audience, and there's the video audience. And I don't think one correlates real well with the other. I don't think if you have a successful YouTube video these days that that's going to necessarily mean you're going to get any plays on Spotify or vice versa. I almost think by staggering it a little bit, you actually play better into gaining fans because you're going to, you're going to one, if somebody hears it on Spotify and then a month and a half later, they see a video, it revitalizes the track. No, you know, no matter which way, which way they do it. And B, it doesn't seem like you put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you realize that there's two different audiences and you play to both on unique terms is, is is that a thought process or is it just the way it worked out for you you just laid out my exact game plan that's exactly <laughs> right that's exactly right that's exactly why i did it that way because i wanted to get more traction from the same song uh as an audio piece by itself and now as a video piece coming up that way you get a little more time a little more traction on the exact same song yeah that's it that's that's exactly the right plan for cool. sure yeah. Yep. Yep. One more thing I'd like to add to, um, you know, to the art of it and to the business of it is, is um, besides the music, you know, we need to have some commerce that we can, you know, try and, and, and make some money off of it. And that's why I launched my uh, merch store. Uh, sure. You know, I launched it this summer and I have a whole line. I, I'm sure you've been on my website. I'm selling mm -hmm. hoodies, selling t-shirts that are all behind me. 
and um, <clears throat> and it's going well. It's going real well, actually. And I think that that helps, you know, the music, the audio, and then the video, and then the merch store, and then you know, pro looking website. It, it it all it's all encompassing, all into one. And now that I have um, in, investors involved with uh, Sonic Boom Productions from Florida and here in Phoenix, you know, it's it's a it's a good overall strategy to continue doing what we're doing, continue putting out singles and, and videos on, on a timely manner as we move towards a situation where we can begin thinking about touring probably sometime next summer or next fall, give right. or take a little on where this pandemic sit, sits with all of us. You know, Byron, you know, so many, uh, you know, musicians, obviously, you know, these days, they try their best to encourage their fan base to buy their physical product. But yet, you know, it's just so hard to beat and compete, you know, with having a virtual jukebox on your phone to play music when and where you want it. Right. Um, you know, in your opinion, I mean, what, if anything, can artists do these days in order to compete with that type of convenience? Because, I mean, in the end, the labels will always, you know, they'll always be fighting to get their piece of the pie. And you're not going to get any help, obviously, from the streaming service, as we're seeing, with, you know, through Spotify, uh, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's sort of up to the artists themselves to sort of put their collective, you know, feet down and just say, hey, listen, enough is enough, even though at this point in time, unless you're a really well-established artist, you can't really do that if you want to obviously get your music heard. You almost have to have them on those mm -hmm. streaming services. What do you, what do you think I mean, artists can do these days to kind of compete with, you know, that the, the model that is out there right now? You have to be a total entrepreneur and you have to find investors. That's the answer. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's the answer. You know, you, you, sure. you have to come to that realization that this is a complete, you know, DIY situation and you have to bring in sponsors and you have to hunt down investors, no different than starting any other business. And, and you have to be able to have the gumption, the will and the desire to do that. And I think that's the answer because you're always going to have the desire to create music that half is always playing, it's always on, and will always be on, you know, but you have to bring in uh, a situation where you're your own label and you keep upping that ante and keep going with it. And that's that's the answer. I don't see any other, you know, scenario because I don't see a major label helping out any one of us. I just don't see that as reality. I think that's sure. total fantasy, actually. I mean, theoretically, anything could happen, but it's highly, highly unlikely. It really is. Mm -hmm. Byron, what are they investing in? Are they investing in you, the entrepreneur? Are they investing in the business or the talent is what I, is, is, I guess, what my question is, because, you know, it, it's doubtful they're, they're investing in both. They're usually going to say, well, you're super talented. We'd like to have you on our roster or you really got the gumption to make this work. We're going with that. So, you know, in your experience, what have, what what are they investing in? Actually, it's a little bit of both. Okay. Yep. And, and, and yeah, and it's starting with this video that I shot last night, and we're gonna, you know, pursue it and, and see where it goes with, with, um, you know, with myself and Sonic Boom, and it's it's off to a great rip roaring start. Video was super professionally shot. You know, we spent a lot of time with it. And, you know, I, I got there about 10 a.m. in the morning. We didn't finish till seven o'clock at night. We were shooting the whole time, right. and we got a lot of great shots. And and you know, we're just gonna take it, you know, one day at a time with super focus and. And a great schedule and just see where it goes. And I'm, I feel very excited about it. So it's a little bit of both, Chris, to answer your question at the moment. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, we are uh, seeing, like, for instance, we've got, um, you know, the, the guys we have up uh, next that are coming on the, uh, on Tremors Live here, both Sean Peck and Ross DeVos Freeman. 
you know, their band Death Dealer, I mean, what they're starting to do, I mean, this is, I guess, a, a lot of ways that some of these, uh, you know, artists and musicians are pushing back is they're, they're only releasing three or four songs from the record to the streaming services. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hear the rest of the record, you have to buy the product, you know. Um, do you think that that is, a, you know, a, a viable way to go about releasing music instead of, you know, doing singles and EPs? Or do you think just basically because streaming isn't going anywhere and because it's so cost effective and convenient for, you know, the average music listener that, you know, they're just never going to go back to buying music like they once did and buying, you know, CDs and, and vinyl, you know, like they once did. I mean, do you think that you think doing that by releasing maybe a few songs to the streaming services and, and tr by doing that and trying to sell your whole product, the whole, you know, uh, the whole album, do you think that's something that could possibly work? I, I think that's entirely dependent on where the fan level sits with whatever particular artist. If, okay. a, if a band or an artist can reach fans that would qualify as super fans, and that's mm -hmm. rare, then a super fan will buy anything. You know, they'll buy mm -hmm. vinyl, they'll buy cassette, they'll buy A-track. But the trick is, can, you, can, can an artist, any artist, any unknown artist, can they mm -hmm. reach fans and then can they make the fans super fans? And that requires an incredible, incredible amount of work, incredible yeah. amount of work. So yeah. to answer your question specifically, I think the answer is yes, but you have to get them to be super fan status, and that takes takes a long time. First yeah. fan status, then super fan status, and then you can start, you know, potentially, you know, you know, thinking about maybe selling CDs, sell, selling vinyl. But I think in the early stages, uh, and we're talking unknown artists here, we're not talking Metallica, in the early sure. stages, any unknown artist is that I think the model that I described of audio first, then video, and then doing that in staggered fashion is the best way to do it for sure. Because that way your resources can be pooled into, um, you know, doing videos. And I think sure. that's really where it's going to bring in uh, the early fans, assuming, of course, you have very, very strong material. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. You know, just to, and we'll, I just want to, um, get off the business part here. I'm going to go now to, you know, obviously talking about your music, um, sure. you know, and what I've noticed, you know, obviously um, you're someone who's been in, you know, obviously, uh, you, you know, full bands and, but you also do your solo, you, you know, your solo music and your solo uh, projects in terms of, you know, like you said, you're a virtuoso type of guitarist and you play the instrumental uh, type of music. And what I've noticed over the years is when it comes to instrumental, you know, whether it's hard rock or metal is that, it's not easy, you know, to get on obviously uh, very large bills or even or really tour packages as well with a lot of traditional hard rock and metal bands. Uh, mm -hmm. It's obviously it's easy to get, you know, kind of I'm say easy, but it's easier to get on a local bill. But obviously, following tours, are, you know, very hard and rare for instrumental bands and musicians. Um, and and, you, and really, instrumental artists, you know, have sort of its own circuits. Is something that me and Chris were talking about when we uh, kicked off the show tonight. Do you personally, having been in both, do you personally prefer playing those circuits, the instrumental circuits, where you know your fans uh, and the listeners are going to play, you know, pay close attention and they're going to be probably a little bit more welcoming to your music? Whereas, if you're opening for like a more well-known, you know, traditional hard rock or metal act that has vocals and has a singer, I mean, regardless of how good really as a musician you are, a lot of people, you know, a lot of fans or or you know that are at the show are going to sort of maybe not give that instrumental band or artist a serious listen because there's no vocals or lyrics to it. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think that can be difficult at times, 
Um, okay. The way that I'm looking to resolve that is to do both uh, instrumental and vocal music and okay. maybe lean on a little bit more on, on the vocal end of it and ha maybe have the next two or three songs be vocal songs, but still occasionally do the instrumental stuff. That okay. way, satisfy both audiences and maybe lean a little more on the vocal end so that okay. we can have a little wider, wider range for sure. And, and I think um, what's important too is for, again, for the moment, because again, things could change with technology. My, my focus here is, is on doing, you know, really hooky, catchy songs that are about four minutes long in, instrumentally and vocally in the, in the near foreseeable future. I'm not thinking super epically long, epic songs. And believe me, I love them, totally love them, like I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. And those are totally great to do. And I might do one down the road. But, but for the foreseeable near future, I'm thinking about four-minute songs with vocals, uh, majority, and, and you know, peppered in with a couple instrumentals to okay. try and satisfy both audiences. And I think that's a smart way to do it. Sure. Yeah. Now, 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 Byron, you know, I'm always curious, and and you're one of the few I can ask this to because you do do, you you obviously have done bands and you've toured and. You know, you obviously toured, you know, recently with Doro and Metal Church when you were with the right. Images of Eden and and right. and was successful. And and then you've gone back to doing now instrumental stuff as well as some stuff with vocal. Mm -hmm. When you're putting songs together, what tells you what to use? I know how you musicians are. Y'all mm -hmm. never look, you can't even do an interview without holding your guitar. You can never, <laughs> you can never sit down and be away, man. You know, and mm -hmm. and you guys are constantly writing stuff and you're constantly looking for riffs. What is it about a riff or a sound or a structure that tells you this can work as an independent song without a voice or this needs a voice. You know, how do you decide that Engines of Thunder did not need a voice? What, what, what goes into that thought? That, that goes back to kind of like jazz studies and, um, and just being a, a big fan of like um, Miles Davis and, and his great album, Kind of Blue. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the way that he played, he, he was instrumentalist and his, his playing was the voice. So sure. there was a hook to that. And I, I apply that very general principle to writing my instrumentals. And I'm looking for a hook in the lead. So with this song, Engines of Thunder, I structured it with a verse section and a chorus section that were definitive catchy hooks, if you will, with guitar lines. So it, it was it was a, a, a feeling of just wanting to make sure that that we have, you know, you know really strong you know, hooks in, in the line that's being played, you know, and that's, and that's where it comes from. It comes from a little bit from, from studying jazz and, and, and a lot of just having it, you know, feel good to my ear of how I'm feeling verse versus chorus structures in a, you know, in a four minute instrumental song and just looking for hooks basically. Sure. Do you, do you um, put consideration when you're creating, not, not after the fact, but when you're actually creating a song, do you put any consideration to what, the song is going to be used for down the road do you do you ever think well i want to write something that could be the end of a chick flick or the the action scene in a in a fast and furious movie or you know stuff like that or do you just write and then kind of go where it goes once it's done no i write completely artistically and just mm -hmm. just let it go 
and 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 the only only small small um, parameter I put on it is just that it'd be about you know on the four minute side of, of length by, by design to do stuff for movies would love to do that but that's a whole different type of composition for for that type of composition I would be working with a filmmaker and we would have long conversations as to what he or she would need to be able to to you know to have in the film so I would be composing for scenes. With this, I'm completely composing as a standalone artist. So there's a difference to that. So so it's different, and I'm I did not know this. So it's different than the old than the old days, I guess, of when you know you would get Vision Quest, and there was a bunch of songs that really had nothing to do with vision with riding bikes or whatever Vision Quest was about, but they were by Madonna and John Wade or whatever, and it was like, okay, they're the big artists. It's it's a different ball game with instrumental music. And yeah, producers. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because with like Vision Quest and like that, they're they're they were looking to bring in the famous artists, is what they were okay. doing, you know. Okay. But but if you're not a super famous artist, you're 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 probably working directly with you know the the filmmaker to do soundtrack music for their film, you know. And and if they want to take my songs as is and just stick stick them in, I you know I would totally welcome <laughs> that. But but more likely than not, they're looking for moods in specific areas and you're soundtrack composing other, you know, rather than just taking engines of thunder and sticking it in their film could happen if they wanted to I, again, welcome it. But, but I think, you know, soundtrack composing, that's a specific thing for sure. For that, for that world. And I don't even know that you're in that world, but you know, I don't know why I'm, I'm down this rabbit hole, but <laughs> for, for that world, would you would the music that you've put out away from it would that act almost as the primer to convince somebody that you could do music for for a movie like would would a producer see the the engines of thunder video and think okay this is a cool song i could see where this would work on a script that i'm working on or or do you just have to have an agent that pitches you and and does it that way it would be a little bit of both, actually. It definitely would be a little bit of both. And what would happen, I, I would think what would happen is that the film producer would hear Engines of Thunder and just kind of like it as an instrumental song. And then he probably, or he or she would probably approach me and say, hey, I love your song, but that particular song, Engines of Thunder, may not work with my film. Can you compose an instrumental that's a little more like this or a little more like that to fit my film with a flavor of that, but bring in other elements. And I think that's what would happen once uh, once they heard, you know, my catalog and or once an agent could connect me. So it's it's a little bit of it all, actually. No doubt, man. Well, Byron, right now people can hear Engines of Thunder. It's the latest release from Byron Nemeth. And uh, Byron, uh, what what can people expect, let's say, the next six to 12 months from you? You know, what, what's coming next and what kind of I know you don't have an exact timeline, but what kind of timeline are you thinking of? Yeah, well, uh, again, in a couple of weeks here, the full video release, and you'll and uh, you'll see that all over social media. And then, uh, you know, I've already started working on on the next song, and again, I'm going to focus on that being a vocal song. So I'll, I'll have a group of musicians around me with a great singer for that, and that would be the next single, the next round. That would probably be sometime after Christmas, I would think. And then, and then, you know, we hope for a stronger, better, healthier world and hopefully get some information and vaccine and, and try and look forward to hopefully touring this summer or in the fall, you know, in the meantime, I'm still, you know, working on material. We've got a lot of time on my hands. So that's, that's what I'm doing. 
Very cool. It's, awesome. it sounds like you're talking a little crazy there with uh, vaccines and the world getting healthy, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hope for the best, right? Hope for right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Exactly. Gotta stay positive. Yep, I'm yep. with you, man. Point, but I'll tell you what, Byron, uh, before we let you go, why don't you throw the plugs out one more time where people can check you out, where they can buy the merch, and I suggest they do buy the merch and don't just look at it. So tell people where to go and where to buy merch and where to hear the song and um, all that good stuff. Just one location, and that's at my website, byronnemeth.com. That's it. It's all there. Awesome. Very good, man. Fantastic. Well, well, Byron, it's all, you know, me and you go back a zillion and a half years, man. So it's, oh, yeah. it's always good to chat with you, man. And good luck with it, man. I hope it does good for you. Thank you so much. Right. Appreciate Take it. Care, Take, Take care, Byron. Take care. Take it easy, man. And there goes Byron. There goes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me kick uh, this back. All right. All right. There we go. We learned a lot. All right. Yeah, that was a very interesting discussion about the, uh, you know, the soundtracks and stuff. And if you're an instrumentalist, how how they go about doing that with producers and, you know, filmmakers and sure. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead. Why don't we just bring on our next guest? Since all, we're right. Ready to roll here. all right. And we've got with us our second guest today on Tremors Live, not to be confused with one of the three Tremors, which our next guest is one of. And he's here to talk about his other band, Death Dealer, lead vocalist, Mr. Sean Peck. What's going on, Sean? How you doing? Thanks for coming on with us. Everything sucks. <laughs> <laughs> elaborate, elaborate. <laughs> no, I just, that's what I always say when they're, when the waitress comes over and goes, how is everything? And I go, it sucks. And I like to see the waitresses freak out. <laughs> I just nice. trying to keep life interesting, man. If you go, oh, it's fine. Everything's good. Like, no. Really. How's your day going, sir? It sucks. <laughs> like, shock the fuck out of people. But I love. There's nothing I love better than talking about myself. So let's do it. All right. Well, <laughs> let's get right to it. Let's talk about the new Death Dealer record, titled Concrete Lands. It's it's the band's third release. It's set for a November 13th release on Steel Cartel, and it's the first album in five years since uh, 2015's Hollow Ground. And, you know, I remember reading that the record, you know, it had been in the making for some time. And obviously, you know, most musicians and artists have plenty of that these days to complete, you know, unfinished projects and work on new ventures that you normally wouldn't have time to do. So first of all, uh, just first off, did the pandemic, you know, in a way, did it really help expedite the completion of the record? Did you guys ever consider holding the record back until you were able to tour for it? Well, um, we, no, we, we were finishing it before the pandemic started. You know, we, we committed to getting it done, but I think I want to go on record as being the most prolific pandemic artist in metal. Cause I think I've done like 70 songs since April. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I want to put, I'm going to fire the first shot. I challenge any other metal guy have you done 70 song i don't think so we so we finished the hollow ground album um as far as death dealer goes the fourth death dealer album is completely finished and we're almost done with the fifth death dealer album oh my gosh. <laughs> so been, there's death dealer as far as the fucking eye can see um the the new three tremors album is done Great. uh the new cage we've got like 15 songs and we're just trying to write more and you know normally i i write 12 songs and 12 songs go on the album but we got so much material it's like we're actually going to do the what everybody else does and like you know choose some of the best or pick the best 
And then there's another, I've got another, you know, top secret uh, band thing that has to do with, you know, former King Diamond, Merciful Fate people that I can't really talk about. And I'm working on that too. So, uh, oh. yes, the the pandemic, you know, if, if you aren't a creative person and don't have a project during these times, I don't know what the hell you're doing with yourself. You can only turn on Netflix so many times and just scroll through sh horrible fucking movies uh right. so i'm I'm glad i'm a creative guy and i'm you know working on like it, i work till fucking one or two o'clock at night on shit every night mm -hmm. so i've been keeping nice. busy and there's just there's there's gonna be so much sean peck screaming heavy metal till <laughs> god knows when people are gonna be sick to death of me <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm gonna push back on our account sean we've done yeah. 80 plus interviews since april so <laughs> we're, we're right there up. with you man that's um <laughs> That's impressive, man. You guys are, I, you know, I always give props to guys like you that to do what you're doing is for a passion. Like we do it. And, um, I, that part of you know, the first fun part about being in a band is the performing. And then the second part is like talking to cool fucking metalheads like you guys about shit. <laughs> nice. Cool, man. Yeah. Thanks. Wolf. Yeah. We, we appreciate you coming on talking to us and you know, there's definitely, let's talk, talk about the record again. I mean, there's definitely, I think some significant, differences that on this record then from hollow ground uh the first obviously is the addition of uh you know mike lapond obviously from symphony x and rasta boss who's major super group even now more super with him joining the fold uh yeah. you know, the, the songs i you know have more of those you know mid-tempo breaks that i think really uh you know allows mike to showcase his you know bass guitar prowess which to me also yeah. it makes the songs in over record that much stronger talk a bit about what Mike brought to the table on this release that may have been missing, maybe in the first two records. And was he supposed to be, you know, involved all along with this record, or was it because he had the free time and he wasn't out on tour with Symphony X and all the other gazillion bands that he's in? Well, Mike, Mike Davis, you know, the guy from Lizzie Borden and Halford, he had like all kinds of shit going on. And at the time, mm -hmm. we thought we were going to be doing all kinds of touring and all this shit. So we, you know, he, we're still bros with him and he, um, you know, said, Hey, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this shit. And so, uh, Ross, the boss had stolen our base, our drummer, Steve Bolognese. Mm -hmm. And so it was only made sense for us to steal back his bass player. <laughs> so, you know, like, Oh, you want to steal my drummer? Well, fucking how about me stealing your bass player? So that's kind of how that went down. And then like, no disrespect to any of the other bass players I work with, but man, like Lapon is, such so musical like it's the first time you know most of the time like the bass tracks get done on a record like oh yeah it sounds cool you know and mm -hmm. it's kind of just there but this man there's all these do 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 these notes everywhere and i was just mm -hmm. like holy shit you know he comes up with so many killer runs and killer ideas that really adds a lot to the music so it's kind of a new thing for me because normally i don't give a fuck about the bass we go to band practice like <laughs> we can't practice we don't have the bass player i'm like the fuck is the bass player? <laughs> the fuck is the bass player for? So, um, I look forward to getting on stage with him and you know, fucking looking in his eye and just going, "Fuck yeah, dude, let's fucking do it!" So, uh, I'm really excited to have him on there, and he's had it, and he's already recorded all these other fucking, you know, he's already recorded a whole nother album and then another album. So, I mean. Right. I got Mike Lapon fucking bass tracks in my mind, like oh, way. Yeah way down the road so um yeah great he he added a lot to it and people were really excited about it and that you know the 
response on this record it's kind of weird for me because i've been sitting on these songs for so long that i'm mm -hmm. just like i'm i'm trying to get excited about it and so I, I went back like two days ago and listened to the record again i'm like oh this is a fucking kick-ass record because <laughs> yeah. i'm so into death dealer four and five right now right and uh the death dealer three conquered lands and i had to go back and i listened to the whole thing from start to finish i'm like okay now i can see it from an outsider's perspective of why people are so fucking pumped on this record because it, it's fucking good man and and the reviews oh. have been fantastic so i'm, I'm excited no question now, now, um, Sean, you, you know, you've obviously worked with several guitar players and, you know, the, the two most notable, at least to me are, um, Conan Garcia and obviously Ross and, yeah. and you, you've made similar kind of music with both guys, but I think that they really have distinctions that come a lot from the guitar players. Do you approach writing music and and recording music the same way with each guy or do you have a different approach when you work with uh conan as you do with ross the boss well me and conan are you know fucking 1992 you know fucking soul brothers right so there's definitely you know i just and you know we're i talk to the motherfucker every day you know about football games and stupid shit i talk to ross all the time too about other shit so that's a cool thing about these bands is we're you know we're fucking bros beyond the music too and that was that's how even in the three tremors how you know we be, we became with tim and harry is like you know we're we like we like we like each other too and we like hanging out and fucking joking and shit with each other so that really it makes it i'm in it for the fun man so you know if i'm not having fun then fucking forget about it so every one of those guys is cool but as far as writing the songs um you know the other basically the way death dealer goes down is me and Stu marshall and you know Stu marshall and myself are do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to writing the songs and then ross comes in and you know adds his sage fucking wisdom and throws a fucking riff and the lead here and there and occasionally he'll pull a, pull a full song you know down but um he uh the three of us will get on a Skype session for like two straight hours. Okay. So it's like a jam. It's like being in the same room. You know, Stu's in Australia, Ross in New York, I'm in San Diego, and they got their guitars and we're just going, Okay, yeah, now you play that part again, and then I'll go, Oh, you know, and then Stu will lay it down right on the computer as we're having the jam. So we get a whole killer sounding demo, like right out of the bat, and then I'll record it. And the funny thing is when I record all these songs with my vocals. The final, like all those songs you heard on Conquered Lands, that that singing that you hear on the album is the first time I've ever sang the song. Like the first time I ever sing the song is yeah. the final recording, which is wow. I don't know if everybody, how everybody else does it, but that's how I do it. Like, well, you know, I don't do. I think a scratch track is just a waste of fucking time. You know, I'm like, fuck it, I'm laying it down. You know, permanent. I don't need. I don't want to come back. I have. To, I don't need to re-sing this. This is as good as it's going to get. And um, we've, uh, we've, you know, with both the guys, we've created a really insane bond. And then the, the other two guitar players would be Hank Sherman and Michael Denner. Right. And, um, you know, I, I only did 12 songs with those guys, but fuck, they were 12 incredible tracks. And, and it's a shame that, you know, uh, at least Hank Sherman's not going to be, I was, I was the perfect fucking writing partner for him, but we shall see. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, that that's a unique project because that, you know, that one seemed like it had some real legs to do something, you know, oh, yeah. on the bigger level. And then obviously then, you know, he, he went back to King diamond, which, you know, I get it, you know, in, in the business, in the business piece of it, you know, I get going back and working with King, but, but, you know, is that frustrating for you? Because I know you, I I've known you for how long, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. You're a yeah. passionate fucking guy when it comes to this stuff. You know, when you, when you re when you write and you release, you're passionate toward it. You're not just one of these guys. that's like, okay, I can sing. Here's a, I'll shit out an album yeah. and, and move on. I know you put your heart into that. And then to have it just kind of disappear like that, that had to drive you nuts. No. Yes. You know, in the middle of that whole uh, dinner Sherman thing, those two guys got in a fight, man. And like me me and the bass player, were sitting there having dinner with them. And we just heard them going in danger. like, blah, 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 blah. we're like, wait, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, uh, and uh, we heard it like, what was that? Uh, Sherman Sherman. We're like, what? what the fuck? And then like <laughs> they broke up and then me and the bass player were like, fuck dude, what the fuck just happened? And then they got, you know, we got back together and played a bunch of cool shit. But, um, you know, who knows? Like I said, I've got something else in the in the works in that in that realm of, you know, in that family of things. So um, they'll be, you know, salvaging what we had done in the past. But, you know, it's just it's real. It's kind of ugly between uh, Hank Sherman and Michael Denner right now. You know, they, he was supposed to be part of the Merciful Fate reunion and right. King Diamond wanted to fuck him over. And it's like a fucking Judas and and jesus it's it's it's, it's not cool so i'm i'm on team dinner as far as that goes because i think it's yeah. but everybody that saw the reunion was like where the fuck is michael denner and they just tried to sweep it under the rug right. like no uh, it was like it was nothing so i call it merciful fake f-a-k-e <laughs> nice. nice along with many others i'm not right. alone with, yeah <laughs> Well, I noticed, uh, Sean, you, know, you and Stu, you did something unique that I haven't seen before. Uh, you both conducted a live stream writing session at one point. Yeah. Which I thought it was really interesting. Man, talk a bit about that, and uh, how did you guys come up with the idea, and how was that experience overall doing that? That was cool, man, because we did like two hours. Wow. And, you know, okay. we, we held on to a lot of people that sat through that whole fucking thing. And, you know, it's funny. We were laughing and, you know, making jokes. We came up with a killer track that's going to be on the fifth Death Dealer album. And... um we should do it again because I mean, can you imagine if Judas Priest said, "Hey, we're going to do a live stream and we're going to work on some new songs"? Yeah. Oh, fuck, I'd watch that for twelve straight hours, you know. Sure, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I thought it was a cool idea, and um, we should probably do it again because it was, you know, it was fun and um, creative, and that's just kind of how we do it. To see, we just trade ideas, and Stu's, you know, really good at coming up with stuff, and uh, I, you know, I I come up with a lot of stuff too. I I'll record a full verse chorus pre-chorus of vocals and send it over and um with an idea for some guitar so i did that with hank sherman too like i i'm you know the song masters of evil uh pentagram of the cross those were all me you know from the start um so uh that was cool and i look forward to doing that again so i think people really liked it yeah very cool you know one, one of my other uh, favorite things about the album other than music uh, that's on there is the Egyptian that uh, you know themed 3D lenticular print cover art uh, that you did not just for the record but obviously for each track as well. I, which is I, I read it was on each track you have it, uh, which is also he was done by um, uh, Dushan Markovich, who's I always worked with you in the past with the Three Tremors record. 
And he's a whore. Who's... He fucking oh, does man. everybody now. He's a fucking yeah. whore. Dusan, yeah. if you're listening, stop <laughs> doing everyone's artwork. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, anyone who's interested in it, I mean, they, they should go to his website and check out, uh, you know, not just about his, the designs that he's got, but really just it, he goes through the process of how he really works his magic on there. It's really cool, and it's um, it's amazing what he can do without those three D effects and the, you know all the photo manipulation. So, um, you know, talk a bit about you know your collaborative efforts with him, and when it comes to you know putting together ideas and concepts for the record, you know, what exactly were you guys going for with the artwork for Concord Lands? Well, um, the number one, number one, if you want to, if you want a wolf, there's no wolves on this one, but if you want a wolf. He's the fucking king of wolves, man. No one beats this dude's wolves. If you want a fucking warrior with a fucking sword uh, behind in front of a castle, like this is your guy. Um, what I like to do with do I'm a I'm a comic book guy, so I've been collecting comics for fucking years, and I'm really particular on my artwork. You know, I'm like some artwork people. You can see my the the walls in here, just you know, all comic book art and shit. Right. Um, and what I like to do with Doosan is get him to do shit that he is out of his, like he doesn't do a lot of. So okay. I, I didn't really remember him doing any Egyptian shit. And so I got with him and we talked about the basic concepts. And then I go, okay, well, you know, we got to make the dude look fucking crazy, not just a fucking Pharaoh with a skull face. And, and so he, we came up with this really unique looking you know, vibe to the main guy. People, man, I, I knew the album cover was killer, but I didn't know the reaction would be this good. People fucking love this album cover. And the shirt, all the all the merch looks incredible. <laughs> and it's like the shirts and the, and all the shit we made with it. The vinyl's like just awesome. Um, what we're, with this whole Steel Cartel thing is we're going with like, a, we're, I, I coined the name, the phrase, we're the kings of the physical medium. Um I stole a line from Stan Lee from Marvel Comics. He says, you know, I'll say heavy metal is like a nice pair of tits. It's much better when you're holding it in your hands instead of looking at it on the Internet. <laughs> right. I like, I like that. Yeah. And so and that's and that's another thing we're doing. You know, we're taking a, a stand against Spotify. Only three songs of this album are going to be on uh, Spotify or any of the streaming services. and the songs that are going to be on there are the songs we're releasing as videos. And not only that, we've been giving the songs out free as an MP3. We put out the video. We give people that are on the email list, the MP3, because they can hear it online anyways. Mm -hmm. So why not give them the fucking song to put in their phone or whatever. And, um, but if you want to hear the rest of this fucking kick-ass album, you got to support the band and pick up a copy, spend fucking 15 bucks and, support metal and buy it and a lot of the journalists and the fans that you know the, the pre-orders have been fantastic at deathdealermetal.com deathdealermetal.com and they uh they've been supporting the concept all these people bitch about spotify not and you know oh, we don't make any money and then they don't do anything about it friday mm -hmm. release date comes and their fucking album is up there for free everyone just pushes a button like oh i just why do i gotta buy it i just heard the whole fucking album for free like fucking thanks spotify yeah. and youtube so that makes zero fucking sense to me. I'm, I'm 53 years old. I'm far past and like do it for exposure. I'm past the exposure <laughs> stage. <man. laughs> yeah. So, so um, it's been great, man. And, and and not only do we make this killer these killer packages within you know 
our product fucking is better, a higher quality and better looking than all the major labels. I'll put our shit up against anybody's shit. And and the prices for the stuff is like two thirds of what all the other major labels have. Our, our, the prices are fucking incredible. People, I, I, you know, I put the price up, like I raised it five bucks. And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, fuck all, all this for only, you know, it's like 45 bucks for the whole package with the CD or something. So real good value for the metalheads and the, the pre-orders have been great. And uh, that's our business model. And, you know, we've got three or four more releases from my own shit next year. And it's going to be all the same. It's going to look killer and it's going to be a great value. Awesome, man. Yeah, that sounds great, man. You know, um, one of the uh, you know interesting things, too, just going back to the inception of Death Dealer, is that you guys initially started out as an online collaboration between you and Stu. You know, obviously, he's in Australia, you're in San Diego, and now here it is almost a decade later, and now you got this big-time power metal supergroup with you. You got Ross, Steve, and Mike. Um, yeah, you know, it's just a massive lineup. T- I mean, take us back a bit to when you and Stu f- first started to plant the seeds for Death Dealer, and the initial collaborations. I mean, did you have ambitions for it to become what it is now or that did that just sort of all kind of take on a life of its own to become what it is today with, you know, all that sizable talent you have in the band that exists? Well, I mean, it was, you know, um, this one of my old publicists hooked me up with Stu. Stu was like a fan of cage. Stu was doing his empires of Eden stuff, which was like a bunch of guest singers, like everybody you can imagine. He had just left dungeon and we did a song called Total Devastation, which we put on Hollowed Ground. And it was, you know, of course it was the best song on the fucking album. I was on it, right? So, I mean, of mm. course it's going to be <laughs> the best fucking song. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and he liked working with me, like, let's do another song. And I'm like, okay. And at that time, I was like, look, I mean, I get everything I need out of Cage. I don't need to be in any other bands. You know, I can, this is fully satisfying. And then... You know, we were we were on Skype one night. He called me up on Skype, and we were having a couple drinks. Like, mate, we got to start a band called Death Dealer. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, that name's got to be taken. What are you fucking crazy? And he's like, no, dude, there was a Death Dealer in Canada, and they're not doing shit. So I punched up the trademark uh, research, and the trademark was available. I'm like, holy shit. And you know, and so we were just like joking, like, well, who could we get? You know, we'd want to. We need to surround ourselves with as many as many famous people as we can. Like it was like KK Downing, and we're like, "Fuck, okay." I'm like, "Yeah, I'll reach out to him." Like, there's no way he's gonna fucking do it. But who else? And Stu's like, you know, he's a huge Man of War fan. Like Ross, the boss. I'm like, well, I talked to Ross, you know, online. So yeah, maybe. At first, it was like, what drummer can we get? And we go, oh, let's get Rhino for Man of War. So I like as we're fucking around, like making a, a fantasy football lineup of metal of a metal band um i uh mess i messaged rhino and go dude we're doing this band and we need a drummer and he's like okay yeah i'm in i was like oh fuck and they were like well what bass player like would anybody even give a fuck about like a bass players again like no one gives a fuck and uh yeah <laughs> uh, we go well what what about mike davis you know halford and fucking you know lizzie board he's right there in la and so i messaged mike right there like oh, fuck it let me hit him up and he's like yeah dude i'll do it and so me and Steve were just laughing. We're just like literally in real time asking people to be in our band. And then I messaged Ross and I got Rhino's in it and Mike Davis from Halford and Ross is like, I'm in. And then me and Stu were just like, holy shit, dude. We have this fucking Facebook messenger band. <laughs> like it's we need to write some songs. And then we, you know, we wrote, wrote some songs. Everybody flew out to my pad. We played 
like four shows, like Mexico, LA. We made three shows, maybe Mexico, LA, and San Diego. Had a great time. Crowd loved it. And then like a few months later, we were opening, we did 10 arena shows. I mean, like skip to the front of the line, wow. opening for the Metal All-Stars. And that that video we just put out, Running with the Wolves, has footage from there. Where right. it's just, you know, fucking five yeah. or ten thousand every night going yeah. off and no one knew who the knew who the fuck we were at all but <laughs> but you know they loved it man they just went ape nice. shit and um so we were just like dude you know this is working we're playing this shit cold and they love it and then we did another headlining tour in europe and then everyone got busy um doing their own shit and then you know now we came back around to finish this this third record and so we're all you know, geeked up about Death Dealer because not only do we have Conquered Lands, but we got two more. So, you know, yeah. we're just like everybody else, ready to to put this battle station into operation live one day. Awesome. Does that mean that I'm going to have to wait another five years for another cage record? No, dude. I told you the cage is. Well, you we said it's fun, done. but yeah. you're in Death Dealer mode. <laughs> no, I mean the cage is coming out next year for sure. We're oh, we're. Yeah. We're working on Cage every fucking night. I was just over at Conan's house, and we were talking about the 15 tracks, how to make them better and inject right. more heavy metal steroids into those tracks, like I like to say. So, yeah, there's a Cage. We got to make sure the Cage is good, though. Like, I was nervous about the last record, and everybody loved it. But So um, we got some really good shit, though. So it's, it's, it's looking good for the Cage. But definitely 2021, the Cage, 100%. Dude, if you were worried about ancient evil, you worry about nonsense because that record fucking slams. Yeah, I know, yeah. man. I was just like, now when I'm like, I don't know, man. I think maybe this is gonna take time to grow on people. And all the reviews were coming out killer. I'm like, fuck, man. They were liking this out of the gate. That was the one. I was totally confident about all the other Cage records, and uh, uh, that was the one. I was like, yeah, this could be the one. And yeah, it. it so we we have a killer track record of of well-received albums with cage no question yeah well well uh sean you know one of the things i mean it's no secret you sing in like nine hundred and thirty thousand projects and bands you know it seems like every time i turn around i turn around you're singing on something and you know as well as i do a lot of your contemporaries that started out as singers sound like shit now they just sound bad and you still have every bit the power you had when you started, or at least when you started nationally. You know, why is it that you, what don't they know that you know, you know, that you've been able to keep the voice right? It's all that pussy I've been eating. I told you, just like, <laughs> rock star. you just got to keep eating that pussy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick, I guess. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> Ask a dumb question, you get a dumb answer. <laughs> what do you do? You have any tips for singers? Um, I, I, you know, the thing to me is like, um, none of that, none of the fucking throat sprays and the fucking lozenges and all that shit. Mm. None of that ever touches your vocal cords, and none of it does a goddamn thing. Like it's all singing. It's all a mind game, man. And so. I just learned because I've I've had to sing through the last tremor show. Like I pulled a rib like four song in felt like someone shot me in the freaking in the side of my body with a shotgun. I was just like, I thought of my appendix burst or something. So I've been through like completely adverse scenarios, you know, live. And so I learned like, dude, you no matter how fucked up you're, you're on tour, your voice is fucked, whatever. 
just go out there and just go for it. And it, it's not going to be perfect. Just, you know, don't freaking overthink it. it and whatever's going to come out, comes out. Some of it might sound like shit, but there's, there'll probably be enough good moments where, you know, it'll be good enough that you'll make the crowd happy. So my, my recommendations to, to people is like, all I do is, is sleep and water and that's all you need. All this other fucking shit is a joke. Now, one thing that that's, we always talk about that's interesting is like so the three tremors, Harry and me and, Let's see, Ripper, me, Harry, Halford, Dio, all of us have one thing in common is as we don't warm up. Okay. Um, I, you know, every, everyone's got to do whatever works for them, but warm, I hate sound check. I don't like going up there and revving up the jet engines and then, you know, revving them down and then getting them back up. Mm. So I don't even barely fucking sing at sound check at all. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I like just going out there and, and blasting it. And I, David Draymond uh, was talking to Ronnie James Dio, and he said, Ronnie, what do you do to warm up? And Ronnie James Dio told David Draymond, David, if you have to warm up, you really don't have it, do you? <laughs> Good point, man. So, um, yeah, you know, you got to do, you know, there's there's things that I can do better now than, you know, five years ago. And there's some things that I can that I can't do as good as I could five years ago. So the voice is always changing. And, um, you know, but I'm I'm able to I got a couple, you know, new techniques. I went through a rough patch probably from like uh, probably like three years ago, man. And my voice was kind of in a flux. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I went to the the voice doctor and like, yeah, you're fine. But, you know. The, the boy, the voice doctor I go to is like, you know, does the opera people here and shit. And he's like, you know, the voices don't last forever. And I'm like, doc, I don't want to hear that shit. I'm not coming <laughs> to you to have you tell me the fucking voices don't last forever. Like, that you're not helping the situation. Right. And, um, I just figured it out and kind of, you know, got in, you know, changed up the techniques a little bit. And um, so far, so good, man. I've been doing a lot of singing, you know, singing in the studio is different than singing live. And sure. we had our first band practice with Cage um a while ago uh, like last week and fuck it was great to get in the room and we're all jamming and we're like yeah it sounds great we're like we don't know what the fuck we're gonna do with us sounding great live but hey we're here and having fun at least but, <laughs> so um yeah man the the voice is a, a tricky thing and um so far i'm able to you know keep doing the freaking screaming heavy metal that i need to do to make it make it uh the Sean Peck experience. No, no doubt. And, and if the, if the voice ever does go, you've got Tony Webster waiting in the wings to take your spot, man. Tony. Um, yes, he can, <laughs> he can sing. I don't know if he can quite hit. I, I think, I, I don't know if he can hit quite hit some of the notes that we're talking about, but <laughs> I love Tony, me and him are, we, me and him go back and forth on the chargers all the time. I know. I, I see it all the time on Facebook. You and he's a, he's a good friend of mine too. And I, I yeah, see it all the time with you two just throwing barbs at each other. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just did a charger uh, video. I think I got a new gig of doing these, these videos like right after the game. It's pretty funny. Check it out on steel card, uh, YouTube steel cartel channel. It's I, I amused myself at least. Very cool, man. Awesome. Well, well, Sean, obviously, man, the project right now, even though you're past it, the rest of us are still stuck on it. It's Concord yeah. Land. It's brand new Death yeah. Dealer. It is a fantastic record. If you if you like power metal, it's it's it'll be in your player for the next year. So go get it's it. It's got it's got a little bit of everything though. It's got it it's got the thrash, yeah. the power, the painkiller mm -hmm. stuff. 
the you know mid tempo headbangers. Now, before we go, I, I wanted to talk about the ballad on this record, though. Oh, go ahead. Okay. The ballad Twenty Two Gone. Now, most ballads are the ones you just skip and you're like, eh, and you, right. and you just fucking skip the thing. But man, all the press. Now, it's called Twenty Two Gone. It's about um. 22 American soldiers commit suicide every day, supposedly, mm-hmm. specific, which was like fucking mind blowing to even think about that. Um, so Stu sent me this acoustical piece and I'm like, what is the most depressing thing? I've never written a depressing song. Sure. And I, you know, like this will be, this will be a fun challenge. This is right. Let's write a song that'll have people hanging themselves from a ceiling fan. By the time it's over. <laughs> and, and yeah, Ross loves it, and he call, he calls it the most depressing song in heavy metal history. So I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of the ballad, and all the reviews have been talking about the ballad too. So I mean, it's the you know you know you've got a killer album when people like the ballad on yep. the fucking yeah, album. that's so, a good point. Yeah, something we got something working for Concord Lance. DeathDealerMetal.com, DeathDealerMetal.com, support heavy metal. Absolutely, man. Well, well, dude, thanks so much for coming on once again. And we're going to talk to your compadre here in like five minutes. He's going to, he's going to jump on and and talk Ross. So, um, good stuff, man. And you know, obviously the doors open whenever we get cage or tremors or if warrior ever does something and you happen to be in front of it, those those fucking guys, (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) I got, did you see, I, I, I talked to you know, uh, AC, I go, dude, let's just do an EP. And then fuck Joe Floyd. Yeah, let's do an EP. And we're ready to do it. We already had some songs we worked on back when I was with them. And then like two days later, like, oh, yeah, uh, Perry, the singer, he wants to do the EP with us. I'm like, all right, you haven't done anything for fucking 15 years. I get you <laughs> off your ass to do an EP. And now Perry wants to do that. I'm like, that's cool because that's what the fans are going to gonna want him anyways. I totally get it. And then it's, that was like fucking six months ago. They got nothing. Not, they don't put right. out a post on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Nothing. <laughs> Those guys, I love them, but they're fucking lazy and they can't they can't write a fucking, put a riff on a recording. So I don't hold the breath for the Warrior thing. If I was in charge, we'd have like two albums done by now. But right. um, yeah, they, we'll, we'll see when the Warrior and we and we posted that and like there was like a thousand people going fuck yeah Warrior people were so pumped on it nice. and now there's nothing so all right yeah. good talking to you guys I'll let Ryan yeah. come in all right, all right. thanks Sean take, take care, care buddy care. thanks a lot Peace. all right all right there we go. all right there it is Mr Sean Peck that was fun that was a lot of fun oh yeah Sean's good people man he's I he didn't know it's funny he didn't know that I knew Tony Webster and and he didn't uh, want to shit on him because he's his friend. His friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that was uh very entertaining. Uh you said uh I did so when you're talking about warrior, is that the warrior warrior? The yeah. LA warrior? Oh wow, okay. So yeah, he, Sean 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 they announced that he was gonna be the singer. Okay. And they, and like he said, they announced that on on Facebook or something that they were going to do an EP, and really? it was like, "Fuck mm. yeah!" You know, wow, that'd been great. Yeah, you know, and, and Warriors done stuff with other singers that's been good. They did a record with Mark Starachi that was really good mm-hmm. from you know the Crocus guy, the Crocus, yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 so then when you bring in, you know, no offense to Mark Starachi, but he doesn't have the power pipes that, that Sean sure does. does. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, Joe Floyd and and Sean Peck, that's gonna fucking rule. Great combo, yeah. And, and like you said, nothing. Nothing. Wow. <laughs> you know, it just went nowhere. 
But yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's anyway. me poking the bear. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's what you do best. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then I like, got, obviously we've got, uh, just for our listeners, you know, our next and final guest, we should be here shortly. Ross the boss Friedman, of course, everyone knows who he is. Yes. I don't think there's any introductions that need to be made for him. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, he, he you know, speaking of Ross the boss, I mean, just to step off a of death dealer for a second, uh, you know, his album that he put out back in March, right when the pandemic was coming out, that's one of my favorite metal albums of the year. That's a great record. That's man. a great record. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I love that record. Uh, that's uh, Denied by the Cross. That's like one of my favorite songs of the year. I love that song. Uh, yeah. So he's, I mean, he's been real busy, obviously. And that's, that's gotta be difficult when you got two records, you know, and, and probably those are probably the two best records of, of each one of those bands. Death Dealer and Ross the Boss, and you know it's it's out during the pandemic. You can't tour for it. Yeah, sucks. It really sucks. Yeah, but what it are you gonna do? Right. Right? Ross, you know, Ross's solo music has been awesome. Yeah, it is. All four yeah. of those albums are really, really good. Really strong, like the the Hailstorm album from mm-hmm, the first one, right? Was that the second yeah. one? The second, second one. Okay. The first one was um, um, New Metal Leader. No, that's right. Okay, yeah. The first one, and then the second okay. one was Hailstorm. But okay. I mean, Ross has killer riffs, killer riffs for days because killer. obviously he's doing this death dealer thing too, and mm-hmm. and it's a guitar record if ever there was a guitar record. Oh, yeah. And same oh, yeah. with the same with Born of Fire. Born mm-hmm. of Fire is an amazingly you like oh, guitars. Yeah. It's it's worth listening to. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, uh, Mark Lopez, the singer, is great on that. Just yeah. just and that record, it's just got a little bit of everything. That's what I love about it. It's got your progressive stuff. It's got your straight you know, sort of thrashy stuff, got just sort of classic metal sounding stuff, almost some 80s sounding stuff. I mean, it's just all over the place. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Great record. Where, where where does Mark Lopez come from? He's, he's I, I, I don't think, I don't know if he's any from any big band at all. I know he's from, so I don't, I forget the name of the band. I mean, it's, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but um, nothing. I don't think that's like, you know, major. I mean, he, that's what I'm saying. He's just a, a good find, you know, just a great, yeah. uh, I don't, yeah. I think I love his vocals because it's just, you know, a lot of the power metal vocal, you know, like, like, like Sean's, you know, vocals, it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty straight now. You know what you're getting. It's the high, you know, the high end um, sort of Rob Halford yeah. sort of vocals, you know, whereas Mark's like all over the place, you know, he, he it's, he can hit those notes, but he doesn't do it throughout all the, you know, throughout the whole songs, you know, right. every song he, he does it. And pieces and parts, and that's what I, I love about it. He can mix it up a little bit, which is great. Well, yeah. and, and that's the change up for Ross, probably between Death Dealer and um, yeah. and his solo mm-hmm. stuff is that it is different. It's weird because musically, I think musically, you could probably interchange many of the songs, but mm-hmm. vocally, it's a totally it, it, there's no comparing the two records because Mark and Sean are so different. You know mm-hmm. that that there's really no comparison of the of the two bands. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no, they're, they're completely different. Yeah, like you said, and you know, I mean, uh, you know, and what's interesting too, and I want to ask him when it comes on, you know, too, is you know, Ross started out as a punk guy. You know, he was yeah. a punk rocker. You know, with the Dictators, mm-hmm. um, which was a real, you know, big band back in the seventies there in New York, and uh, you know, to go from that type of because you know, especially you know, punk rockers. To go from that kind of music to full on shredding metal, that you know, when he went over to Manowar, mm-hmm. that's like unheard of. You know what I mean? It does not happen. You yep. know, it's usually, I mean, p- punk rockers, you know, usually don't even like metal. It's such, a, especially in New York. I mean, it's a complete, 
you know, it's almost like sacrilegious if you like punk and metal, you know, if you're like a real punk rock musician. Uh, it just it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So it was just really uh real interesting, you know. Um just his you know, his career is just really interesting, you know, going from that to that. I'm speaking of that. Well, there he is. Well, speaking of him, let's bring him right in. All right. Hey guys. Hey Ross. What's going on, Ross? What's happening? Good to good to talk to you once again, man. Welcome to Aftershocks. Nice to be here. Great. Excellent. Well, well, Ross, we we were just we just talked to Sean like five minutes ago, and he he of course has plenty to say about well everything, and um, you know, <laughs> one one of the things he was telling us that we weren't aware of was that you guys we're we're going to talk conquered lands, but obviously there's a lot more going on in the Death Dealer camp that just conquered lands, man. So talk a little bit about, you know, where, where you're at with all this music that you guys are working on for this project or for this band. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty good situation. I mean, uh, uh, we had the third album hanging around for a while and, uh, we wanted to obviously finish it. And when the shit show hit, uh, everybody had time, you, you know, no one was, you know, everybody's doing the same thing, which is pretty much sitting on their asses. And instead of sitting on our asses, we had, uh, we had ideas, you know, and Sean and Stu really started pumping out a lot of songs. And, uh, so we're up to, I'm recording right now, Death Deal of Four. Right. Yeah. He was telling us, yeah. Not only Death Deal of Four, we have enough for Death Deal of Five. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's a good situation. So I mean, uh, and then Death Dealer Four is fantastic. So, well, Death Dealer Three is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like you made a shitty record with Death Dealer Three. Conquered Lands is awesome, man. It's, it's. I, I have to ask you, man, as a guitar player and as somebody that has really put out quality quality guitar riffs and 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 leads you know especially in the last few years you know we were just talking earlier right before you came on about how much we loved um born a fire yeah you know yeah. and that's such a quality record from you and then you come right back with conquered lands you got a lot going on in in your playing you know it, it's almost like something kicked in that really has revitalized you as a player well, sure. I mean, you know, Born of Fire is my fourth record for AFM. Right. Mm. And, you know, we did uh, By Bloodsborn last year. And uh, Born of Fire was March 6th. And we didn't get to tour on that. No. We haven't toured on that yet. So, right. So when, 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 when the green light is given, and we don't know when it's going to be given, uh, we're going to have Born of Fire is going to be ready to be toured on as a new record. Um, Death Dealer 3 and 4 we're going to tour on and uh, it just seems to me that I just I just work, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly working um, if you hear, hear all this noise here I'm at my batting cage right, yeah you, you know, and I'm, I'm here 7 days a week and I'm wow. multitasking now and uh, you know, music is I, I'll record tonight at, at my studio with my partner um, I, I mean, there's just nothing I won't do. I mean, I don't take any time off, and uh, sure. I think that's. And not only that, I'm, I'm I'm recording with the Dictators again. Oh wow! The Dictators will be touring too. Oh wow! Crazy. Okay. 
<laughs> Very cool. That's you're a busy man. <laughs> still, it's a great thing, you know. So yeah, yeah, I've been putting out a lot of stuff, and yeah. uh, but it, it's only going to come out if it's good. I mean, really good. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about the, the, you know Concord Lance. I'm really. I mean, it's great, great artwork. Mm -hmm. Great mm -hmm. packaging. Um, the great, the videos are fantastic, and uh, you know, the songs are great. So when you have all that, you know, it all starts with the songs for me, anyway. So right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of the songs, I mean, the song I really like, Ross on the record, is the one you guys just did a video for, uh, called "Running with the Wolves." Uh, it's just got that really good old fashioned, you know, hard rock classic metal sort of sound and uh you know i read a statement you made about the you know the record the new record where you stated that people can use this uplifting rock and roll to put some positive energy back in their lives and i love that because i couldn't agree with you more i mean that's what i think all of us need more than anything right now is a little positive energy and it seems like you know so many well-known like hard rock and metal you know musicians just you know, they won't shut up about whether it's politics, you know, whatever it is. They just put up, you know, a lot of them put out a lot of negative energy when listeners and fans, you know, we look to obviously uh, you guys, musicians, you know, most of us go to music as an escape from all the seriousness, you know, of daily life and everything. But at the same time, I understand the frustrations because like you said, you guys' livelihoods have been derailed, you know, just as much as anybody's for you personally, though. I mean, how difficult is it to write, uplifting music right now at a time like this you know where especially where you know there's still no light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to obviously getting back out there and playing you know live music it is you know what it is a bit depressing i can tell you that i mean a, a lot of people are, are out of out of jobs mm -hmm. and mm, yeah crews press yeah. merchandisers venues are closing you know, it's a tough time for everybody, and you know, I mean, I'm, I thank God I have my business here. You know that mm -hmm. I've been I've been working at every you know continually for 16 years. Mm -hmm. and, um, people go to me. You're a pretty smart guy, man. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sports is something I love as well. So, I mean, I feel blessed, and um, to to write songs, you know, positive songs, and you know, I mean, heavy metal has its you know, you know, it has its sure. Mm -hmm. you know, heavy metalish, heavy metal. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Isms. Yeah. That's it. That's the word. That's the word. Isms. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we try to put positive vibes in, in back in the world, you know, uh, it's just, just the way we are. I mean, you know, just, uh, you know, we want our fans to enjoy our music and just take a load off and <laughs> no, man. Right. Sure. Have, yeah. Drinks. Mm -hmm. You know. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The interesting too about Death Dealer, you know, and uh, you know your roster boss band, um, is that three fifths of the band of Death Dealer makes up the same, you know, three fifths of it is the same lineup as you had from Born of Fire with Steve and Mike Lapond, you know, uh, in the band as well. So for a guy like yourself, I mean, you've been obviously in several bands, you know, over the years, uh, throughout your whole career. Uh, you've worked with so many different talented artists, especially at this stage in your career. How important is it to have that stability of working with some of the same members within your projects instead of, you know, venturing out and playing with a variety of musicians, which is something I know you've obviously definitely done as well throughout your career. Well, I, I've always said it's an, it's, I, I, I want to play with my friends. I'll always play mm. with my friends. It's a yeah. great thing to play with people that, you know, uh, yeah. I said about everyone, including Manowar. 
by the way. And, uh, you know, Joey and I had our diff- have, have our differences, but it doesn't mean that, I, you know, you know, with a good sit-down meeting, things couldn't get resolved, and, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. that being said, I don't think that's going to happen. But I've always said I'll play with my friends, and uh, having Mike and Steve in Death Dealer is great. And, you know, Stu is a great buddy of mine. We've been friends for, for, for a while now, and Sean. So we have a great relationship. And um, it's cool to do the cool to be able to count on people, you know, when you have to go out and do things. Mm-hmm. So, right. Well, it's a certain, it's a certain comfort level. Sure. Right? Sure. It is. Ross, I want to go back to you mentioned about your, about your batting cages. And, you know, I own a, I own one of the largest pinball places in the country. So yeah, there you go. Oh, nice. So people are definitely hitting. That's good. But I'm curious for you, you know, I, obviously the music business has been torn to torn to hell with, with COVID. How has that business been? Because I know my pinball place is like getting murdered because people are afraid to come in. Are you, are you getting the same thing? Do you hear all those kids crazy yelling in the background? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you hear a lot of them, yeah. The kids, in, especially in New York City, they have to sure. be active. Okay, they've been locked up for three months, and it's the worst thing that's ever been done to them because right. they deserve to be locked down. Okay, these kids have to, they're growing up, these young kids, they have to come out, they have to have socialization with, with their friends, they have to play baseball, especially most of these kids are black and Latino, and mm-hmm. you know, they need to play baseball. Uh, you know, we have a lot of organizations here that are doing that. No one's taking no for an exam uh, for, for 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 no one's taking no. This place, the cage, we have twelve teams. Okay. We have our own twelve. We have an, our own in-house cage warriors, and mm. uh, cage warriors, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, all ages from six to eighteen, and you know they travel around. We just had our college showcase. We had seven universities come to our showcase, and a lot of our, our young men got offers. And oh, yeah, I mean, we're pushing the envelope. We, we want this whole thing to continue. We don't care about this. I mean, we're, you know, we, we're mindful of our masks and everything here, totally safe and separated, but the, the, the process has to go on. These kids have to get an education, and they have to, mm. they have to play sports. They just have to play sports. Right. You growing up, you have to play sports. Right. Well, and I just want to say it's really cool of you to keep the place open. It, as you know, a lot of places, you know, a lot of places have been because of government or just fear or whatever have been pushed into closing their doors. And, you know, it's great that you're able to continue. Thank God. We've been, we were closed for three and a half months. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. A lot of money. <laughs> but uh, we were able to get some, pen, you know, pandemic insurance and stuff like that and work the things out with my landlord and you know it's 10,000 square feet here and it's a lot of rent but we work things out and we're back we're back in operation and, and people are coming to us because we've been we've been we've been here for 16 years and serving the community and you know I just uh, I think this is a recession depression proof business because right. the parents will spend on their kids no matter what, they will deny mm. themselves. They will deny themselves food, right, to mm. give their kids an opportunity. Because especially a lot of these kids, you know, they're looking. They want to play. 
major league. They want to play in college. They want to, you know, sure. somehow be professional. You know, that's always the, you know, how, you know, the chances of that happening, you know, are very slight, but that's their dream. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah. Have dreams is good mm -hmm. as a young kid. Sure. Absolutely. I had my dreams. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, New York, New York's a baseball town. It really is. Huh? You know, I said, New York is a baseball town growing up there myself. Everyone loves it. You know, but it's, it's, it's a town that's been destroyed. Well, it's been destroyed. though. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously more than probably any city right now in the States. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. And then, we're going to fight. These kids are going to be playing our leagues. Other, other, other organizations have like rented this place. Like, Oh my God. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 for months straight now. So it's, it's, it's a good situation. Yeah. So, no. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of, you know, uh, the dictators in New York there, you know, um, we were, you know, me and uh, Chris, you were talking right before you came on. You know, I think one of the more interesting things about your career, Ross, is that, you know, uh, it's so really unconventional in terms of how you started out playing with punk rock with the dictators. And then you went on, you know, full speed metal, you know, with, with men of war and became a, a guitar shredder, you know, and it's often where you don't, you don't really see that, you know, often uh, that kind of transformation, especially, you know, like I said, New York, I know, you know, growing up there, I mean, punk rockers, most of them hate fucking hate metal. I mean, they hate it. You know what I mean? So that's very unconventional what you did. How, how did you make that transformation back in the day? Well, you know, the dictators were always considered too metal for the punk and two punk for metal. Right. Mm. It was kind of like punk metal, you know, because of me, you know, because I had, you know, the heavy guitar player in the band, James Hetfield said, you know, Ross, you're the, you know, obviously in a punk band, but you're a heavy guitar player. And uh, I just like, yeah, I mean, I, my, my influences were, were blues and Led Zeppelin and Hendrix and Sabbath and, you know, mm. all, the, all that stuff growing up. And uh, so, you know, you know that's the deal. I mean, you know, I was I was always a heavy guy. You know, heavy. You know, uh, so, you know. So making that making that transition was never hard. You know, mm -hmm. and I keep doing. You know, I do dictators. You know, RTB band. You know, I I just did a track for Die Krupps. Uh, oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Nice. No more heroes by the Stranglers, and oh, wow. you know, which was fantastic. Really came out great, and uh, I'm just you know. I can play anything, you know. I'm learning sure. myself mandolin. You know, I, I love it. I, you know, I, I'm trying to learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. um, before I go to bed, you know, I'm always playing. You know, tonight I'm going to be uh, recording a Death Deal a a solo. You know, yeah, busy. sure, you know? yeah. Well, I mean, you were just talking, you know, obviously this has been obviously a, a very challenging year. What You know, you've had to go through, obviously, professional, you know, on a professional level and a musician, you know, obviously with your business as an entrepreneur. I mean, how cathartic is it for you personally to to be able to continue to write, you know, and create and release new music? And are you noticing any, anything, you know, different when it comes to your playing in terms of like, you know, sort of your creative juices? You feel like they're being enhanced a bit right now, you know, because of all, all the shit that's going on? Yeah. I mean... I'm, I'm all I'm, all I'm thinking about is music mm. at this place. I mean, you know, sure. was, and, um, <laughs> you know, all I'm thinking about is is music and uh, you know what I have to do. But you right. know, I'm, uh, it's a tough time. It really is, and I'm not I'm not just like I'm not one of these guys just to you know give into the depression, give into the mm. you know, oh. Your record came out March 6th. 
but just it just came out at just the wrong time. Oh, I've got such bad luck. Oh, mm. my luck is so bad. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying that. You know, I'm just not. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play that game. You know. Mm. Sure. I'm lucky to make a record. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get it. Um, I mean, do you just want, you know, I just got one little uh, quick question before we uh, wrap it up, Ross. I mean, do you feel like with both bands now, when you, when you got, you know, Ross the Boss Band, you got Death Dealer, that you now have those creative outlets where, you know, obviously you're still in Dictators, you're still going to tour with them. Do you have those creative outlets where you're able to stay focused, you know, on both? And it, does it satisfy your, you know, creative needs? Or do you always need to maybe have to do something new in, or, you know, to, in order to fill those needs, you know, those creative needs that you do have? It's 50 of us. Right, hold on. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm planning to make a blues record. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> day. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. Cool. One day, guys. Cool, cool. Very cool. I'm charging someone on my square reader. Hold on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> multitasking, as they say. There you go. He's definitely yeah. multitasking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great thing to be able to, you know, play and entertain people. And what can I say? Watch the bats, son. <laughs> and where, where, where exactly is your batting cage at, Ross? It's in Queens, right? Middle Village, Queens. Middle Village. Okay, sure. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Very cool. All right, man. Well, you know, uh, like I said, I see you're. You got a lot going on. I really appreciate you coming on. For all the listeners out there, go ahead and pick up a copy of you know uh, the new Death Dealer record. Check it out. Uh, do you have any, anything you want to plug while you're on here, Ross? Before we wrap it up. That uh, thank you, my brother. You're welcome. See thank you. Guys. So much. God bless. Okay. Um, see you. See you. Um, Death Dealer is releasing this record November 13th. It's, it's a fantastic record. We're releasing three songs to digital media platforms, mm -hmm. and so right. we won't let Spotify. Steal our whole record. Good. Awesome. We're going to. Uh, if you if you you want the rest, you got to buy it. Good. And folks, you got to support the band by actually buying stuff. We have great merchandise, great product, great artwork. I saw some of the stuff that Sean had. It was just it looked fantastic. You can see by the artwork is great. Oh yeah, it's great. You know, Duzan Markovic is an amazing artist. Um, the song, the killer. It's a killer package. Great band. And uh, what can I say? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, awesome. Well, thanks. For, I appreciate you taking time and your busy schedule there, Russ, to come on and talk with us. And uh, yeah, well. good luck with everything, man. And and also, like we say, Bonafire, great record. Can't wait to see you play that stuff live. You got it. The whole deal. Yeah. All right, awesome. Ross. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bye. Well, there you go. All right. Well, <laughs> Russ obviously was a little preoccupied. He's a little busy, but. <laughs> Running daily operations at his business hey. doing an interview. But hey, like you said, that's a professional for you right there, right? You know what? Fine. Yeah. Because at least he's at least he's not sitting in an empty building not doing business. Yep, absolutely. Fine with me. Oh, Came yeah, on, yeah. he talked a little bit about Concord Lands. Absolutely. And he's making money. Yeah, good for him. That's how you do it, right? Yep, yep. I agree. Yep. <laughs> I'm all about it, man. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. All right. Well, great. Um, well, that wraps up the guests we have for tonight. Yeah. Um, and what are we in here? Here we're about an hour and a half, sort of in there. We're good. How about we're that? good. We're, we're feeling good. tired as hell, just like everyone else is. Yeah. Obviously, today this is a we, we stayed up watching that nonsense last night, just like the rest of you. Just so like the rest tired. of you. 
Yeah. And thanks to everyone out there watching. I, you know, you guys, uh, I hope we give you a break from all the shit on, t you know, the news and everything right now. Um, just at least for a little bit before you go back to having anxiety and stress again. We purposely um, but, stayed away from the, the politics tonight. <laughs> well, we, we purposely stay away from politics in general. Yeah. You know, that's that's sort of our uh, model here. Uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. we've obviously, just like everyone else, have our own opinions. But w yeah. this isn't what this is for, right? This right. is to get away from that shit. So, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah, well, awesome. well, before we go, why don't you tell people about the – the next one in two weeks, since that's since yeah. that one is primarily yours. So why don't you um, tell people what's coming? Well, up? yeah. So we got two weeks on the 18th. Uh, our main guest on is going to be uh, original Crow Mags guitarist Paris Mayu. Paris Mayu is uh, he's got a new um, he put out a new single. Obviously, sort of I guess what Byron Nemeth was telling us about today. He's doing I think the same sort of thing. Right. He's got a new single out. Uh, it's a video. It is instrumental, which is very interesting, um, but it's got that it's got that classic Chromag sound. So if you like that old crossover Chromag uh, stuff, you're gonna like that stuff. So Paris and Paris May was not a guy who does a lot of interviews. You know, if you know the right. Chromags, it's always the other two guys. Um, and so uh, having him on is gonna be real fun. He's a, a good interview too. He likes to talk, so it'll be a good one. Um, we also got. Um, before that, we've got Brian Mitz uh, Daniels. He is the uh, former guitarist from Madball, another New York hardcore band. Uh, so it's going to be a bit of a, a hardcore themed show. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we haven't gotten uh, official word yet if he's um, confirmed, but we're looking to get also another you know big New York hardcore band who just came out with a really good uh, EP, the band Sub Zero. Uh, they were, uh, like I said, big time band in the 90s, New York hardcore band. So it's going yeah, to be a New York hardcore sort of uh, themed show, a little bit different than we, we've done. So uh, we figured when we got Paris on, it was like, well, we might as well go ahead and get a couple of other veterans that are in the hardcore scene on too, since we haven't really done any of that uh, on Tremors okay. yet. So yeah, this will be the first for that. And uh, so it should be a good one. Yeah. Can't wait, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. But uh Awesome, man. Well, thanks. You know, I guess thanks to everyone, like I said, who's watched us tonight. And uh, like I said, go get some rest and have a drink or two or three or four. Um, <laughs> I think we all need it right now after, like I said, we're going through uh, with this this shit. But um, yeah, anything else you, you got to close, Chris? Yeah, simple. Don't panic. Just yeah. listen to metal. Put metal on in your car. Put metal mm -hmm. on in your house. You know, coffee, beer, wine, booze, or and metal. That's that mm -hmm. should be your mantra right now. Exactly. Not Fox News, not CNN. Mm -hmm. Metal. Yep. It'll make your day better. It's like you know, just real quick. This morning, I got up and you know, every bit of me was like, "All right, let me check and see what happened." Yeah. Let me check and see. And <laughs> I went to start doing. It and I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I went mm -hmm. and I I just put on my headphones and I threw on some some really heavy metal and i just blasted the the urge and to be honest i had a great day unlike unlike most people that were on social media complaining and whining and bitching about everything i had a perfectly great day because i just sure. listened to metal all day and watched some old sons of anarchy reruns and was like all right cool yeah i avoided it for the day <laughs> yep. good good for you man i i did the same well, i had to work but so I had to avoid it. I had no choice for half of the day, but uh, it was one of those things. Yeah, I already had a headache waking up, and I said, "No, nope, we got the show tonight, and I'm not going to yep. put myself into that mindset 
Um, like you said, go put on music. It always does. It always does justice, man. It always, it always takes away, you know, all the shit. And, you know, that's what we said. This is what we looked at that music for, right? Just to mm-hmm. get it. They escape. They escape from that shit. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, that's about it. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Good. Well, let's get the fuck out of here. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys in two weeks, November 18th. Peace. Thanks for listening to Aftershocks. For more episodes, go to our website at www.aftershockspodcast.com. Visit us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for more news and information on the podcast. And be sure to subscribe, listen to, and review all episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast platforms. For your music listening pleasure, visit our website or go to www.shockwavesradio.com. For all comments and questions, please email us at info at aftershockspodcast.com.